Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all of the dumb things that people will do for love. Welcome to episode 37. How are you? I'm doing good. Wonderful. Yeah. How are you? Good. Yeah. <laughs> this was a good week. We were just uh, having, we were talking, having, a, having like a kind of deep conversation off air. Yeah. And we figured we might bring you guys into it. Yeah. So I was telling Jen that I heard that on this podcast, this is just such like a random thought, but it really clicked with me. These women were talking about how at some point... Women are taught, instead of thinking about what they desire, they put their value in being desired. Like at some point, it's like around like 10 or 11 or even younger, women switch over. And so all of your energy and your self-worth comes from being desired. And then that's just like, we were talking about how that's just such a losing proposition. Yeah. And I know this is a crazy way to start the podcast, but it like really resonated with me. And I'm like trying to think of all the ways in my life that I have positioned myself or done things just to be, even if it's not explicitly to be desired by a man, but in some other way, like in comedy, in whatever, for some guy to think I'm cool, or all of those ways where you're like, I didn't even stop to think about what I wanted. Oh, yeah. I And as soon as you said that, I thought of all these instances of things that I didn't even realize that I changed about myself growing up just because someone made a comment about something like my hair color I when I used to have blonde hair and then I dyed it dark and Mm -hmm. this guy was like oh my god like you should have had dark hair this whole time and I was like I guess I should never have blonde hair and then for the last 20 years I had dark hair right and so I mean, my blonde hair wasn't natural either, but but it just shaped what I did. Yeah. Yeah, Or I used to be really into, I loved fashion and I used Mm -hmm. to wear the craziest outfits just because they made me happy. Like I used to wear like whatever struck me that day. But I remember someone saying something like, men don't like it when girls dress crazy like that. They only dress like that for themselves. And I was like, oh, Okay. I think I subconsciously stopped expressing myself yeah. through what I was wearing. You were like, I don't want to just wear like basic yeah. stuff. Yeah. I don't want to offend any man. I don't want to be too different or loud or to yourself or whatever so right. that you like offend some man's sensibility. And this can work anyway for any yeah. person. So I think what what our takeaway is is just fuck that shit. Fuck that shit. Love yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Dumb love yourself. And yeah. don't worry. And then other people will dumb love you because of who you are. And then you don't have to pretend for anyone. Exactly. Don't change for other people. Yeah. Try to try to spend some time thinking about what you want and then do those things. And then other people will come along for the ride because what is more attractive than confidence and knowing yourself? This is a different podcast now. I know. <laughs> this is... <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're going to do some quickies. Let's get into our quickies. I'm done. I'm going to get off my high horse. No, I think it's important to say. (laughs) You're first. Okay, I am first. So this is just a silly one. This article comes from the Daily Mail UK, Mm -hmm. um, but it's actually about a couple here in Freeland, Michigan. Okay. Over here in the States. 
over here on this side of the pond. <laughs> so recently, a cranky wife attempted to sell her embarrassed husband on Facebook for $111. <laughs> Where'd she come up with that figure? I don't know. It's a good number, though. <laughs> yeah. I like numbers like that. Um, do you want to know why she yes, wanted I... to sell her husband? I do. Apparently, he shrunk her expensive designer pants. And he put them in the dryer, and then they, they it's really funny, the picture, we'll post it on our yeah. Instagram, but the picture of these pants are like, literally, they look like two-year-old toddler pants. <laughs> but these pants were $200 pants, but they're sweatpants, dude. No. They're $200 sweatpants. They're cute. They're like knitted, you know, they're kind of like a clay color, I uh-huh. guess. They're called Kimbo Knitted Pants from an Australian-made designer called uh, Spell Designs. They look cute and comfortable, but I don't know that they're worth $200. You know who else has sweatpants? Old Navy. Yeah. <laughs> Target. They're pretty comfortable. Walmart. <laughs> Amazon. Goodwill. Goodwill. <laughs> Dude, I mean, I totally get that there are some like cool, comfortable sweatpants yes. out there, but I don't know that I would spend $200. But anyway. Well, especially in then like your husband do the laundry. Yeah. I mean, my husband has definitely ruined some of my clothes. Oh, yeah. I've had laundry. a couple sweaters that have come back like little kid sweaters. Yeah. I've just been like, what the fuck did you do? <laughs> <laughs> now Zach is like trained. He's always like, do you have anything in the wash that might get ruined? <laughs> um. So yeah, so she... Apparently nobody bought nobody bought them. Oh, nobody bought her husband. But apparently a lot of people did chime in and they sympathized with her and <laughs> talked about times that their husbands ruined their clothes too. I mean, I would have tried to sell them for two hundred dollars, right? Also, Give me a new pair of sweatpants. Yeah, but like, why sell your husband that you're saying will ruin your laundry? <laughs> <laughs> Why do I want to buy damaged goods? Right? <laughs> I already have shrunken laundry. <laughs> what do I need your husband for? <laughs> That's my quick egg. I love it. It's fun. It's very relatable. <laughs> um, okay, so mine is from the BBC.com. So this is just kind of a funny story. Martin Holtby and Pat Dixon are a retired couple from Lancaster, England. And they had just returned home from a holiday, and they knew something was going on when they found their home neater than they had left it. Oh, and Pat that's says alarming. that they first, yeah, they first realized something was amiss when they opened their front door and they found their mail and their newspapers had been removed from their doormat. I guess they had like a little slot in the door for the mail, and uh-huh. somebody had like stacked them up neatly <gasps> and put them on the table. Creepy. So then they moved inside to find the house, which had been a mess when they left it had been cleaned up. So someone had done the dishes, they had gone grocery shopping, and someone had even done the laundry, although they noticed that there were some extra socks and underwear in the mix. And they go up into their bedroom and they find a burglar asleep in their bed. Oh my God, how'd they know he was a burglar? Well, I guess they just... A stranger. A stranger, stranger. yeah. I guess he, <laughs> he had a little burglar mask. He was a stranger. Oh, so his little burglar sack was like right next to him on the bed. (laughs) His little bindle. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Lucas Chazinski, who was 28, had been living in their home while they were away. And Martin actually said that they weren't threatened by their uninvited guest. He said, I wasn't frightened, more surprised. And I knew I had to take control of the situation. And then Pat said, it was a bit like Goldilocks and the Three Bears, although he was a bit more like Baby Bear. 
So Martin called the police and Lucas was actually still asleep when the officers came to arrest him. So they didn't even wake him up. They oh were just my God. like, let him sleep. Let him sleep. <laughs> He's had a hard day. He did all that cleaning up. All that burglaring. So their window cleaner later told the couple that he had seen Lucas in the house, but he presumed he was their grandson. And Pat said, I felt fairly sympathetic, although he did break in, but it was neatly done. And she said, he did burn an old saucepan, but that happens. (laughs) Oh, I would be pissed. (laughs) Right? So Lucas was given a two-year conditional discharge in order to pay 200 pounds in cost after he admitted to the burglary. Oh, my gosh. So that's my quickie. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. I don't know what I would do if I... I mean, I would be super scared. I just love that they were like, oh, okay. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) He looks tough. Higher. I know. Man. Maybe they just figured like anybody who would come clean their house, psh, fine, you can stay there. Yeah, or is polite enough to like stack the mail. Right? Yeah. I would I really wanted the ending to be like, and now they're best friends and he comes and stays with them <laughs> all the time. But I couldn't find out. Oh. He there was nothing where he said anything. So Dang. I'll update you if I can. Hey, Sally. Yes, Jen? You ready for a crazy story? I'm ready for a crazy story. I've been, I was born ready. Fuck yeah. Okay, so this, my sources came from the Philadelphia Inquirer. Uh Uh-huh. This is an article written by Vinnie Vela, and then there's also an article written by Kyle Swenson for the Washington Post. Ooh. And then also an episode of the classic Oxygen show. Snapped. Snapped. Oh, we're going back to our roots. Oh, of course. Um, this is the we'll always story come back to you, snapped of Jennifer Morrissey. Okay. I don't think I know it. Okay. Yeah, it's a good one. Okay. So Mike McNew was born in Waynesboro, Pennsylvania, but he lived in Williamsburg, Pennsylvania his whole life. He married his high school crush, Anne Hennessy, and with her, he had two kids, Katie and Patrick. They were the typical middle-class family, Uh you know, um, life was normal. He sold insurance and then he went into pharmaceutical sales and which he did really, really well at. I remember so in college, everybody that was like started the doing thing. pharmaceutical yes. sales. Yeah, because that's when opioids like went nuts. Yeah, I was like, I could, I could do that because I remember a girl who had graduated a year before me came back and she was like, I make eighty thousand dollars a year. Yeah, and I was like, oh, well. There's a documentary on Netflix. I I have not watched it yet, but it's called The Pharmacist, and it's about a man who's uh, who was a pharmacist and mm-hmm. his son was buying crack and was murdered but the so the the whole documentary is supposed to be about like him connecting that to the opioid crisis and taking down like big pharma oh that's crazy yeah it looks really good i haven't seen it so i can't say if it's really good it looks good it looks good Um, let's all watch it together let's do it we'll report back (laughs) so if somebody would go through and say how many things we've said we're gonna report back on and then have never reported back i know (laughs) that could be a podcast so he did really well in pharmaceutical sales but because of that they moved around a lot because Mm -hmm. he kept getting promotions and he would have to move to different towns yeah and he worked a lot and then mike and ann just uh, like eventually things just didn't work out and they ended up getting a divorce yeah but they remained good friends they just didn't work out Mm -hmm. so he was now a single man and he was making good money he was a bachelor Uh and then lots um, of pins he could give out for free and he had jet skis now the (laughs) amount of times that this episode of snapped refers to his jet skis (laughs) 
is noticeable. <laughs> I'll say that. It's because um, they have, like, that's one of the stock pictures they have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, just that's the idea of success. is like, he had a jet ski. What? Maybe two. <laughs> so now he- here he is. Single dude, uh-huh. jet, jet skiing skis. all over the place, <laughs> jet skiing. Um, and in 2012, he began dating a 28-year-old single mother, Jennifer Morrissey. Mm-hmm. So now he's in his 60s at this point. Oh, but he's got geez. jet skis. And she's 28. Um, but um, they hit it off and they started going on fancy vacations. Uh-huh. They rode jet skis together. <laughs> side by side. Yeah. Um, and then he started, um, and then he started changing the way he acted. Like he went and got tattoos. Like he never had tattoos in his life, but in the age of, and she had tattoos. Yeah. Um, the age of 60, he started getting them. Uh-huh. Um, and so in 2015, he ends up asking Jennifer to move in with him and her son. Mm-hmm. And um, then they spend the next uh, five years together. But on August 8th, 2017, um, Mike didn't show up for work, which is not typical yeah. for him. And a coworker went to go check on him. And um, when they went inside, they found him dead in his living room. He was leaned back in his chair with his hands in his lap, like he, like he had been sleeping. And they said that you wouldn't have even been able to tell that anything happened to him, except uh-huh. for when he, they got to the other side of him, they saw that there was a shotgun wound to his face. But there was no other sign of a crime, just the shotgun wound and a bullet casing that they found. But they found no gun. It didn't look like anybody had broken in. Uh-huh. Like, everything looked normal except for that. With the bullet casing and the uh, the bullet, they knew it was a homicide. Yeah. And they also saw that there was a tan line on his arm to show, it, like, the perfect shape of a watch that had been taken off, like, oh, okay. missing. And then they also saw that his laptop was missing and his phone. So just these three things. Okay. But it didn't look like a random robbery because there was there were no broken windows and signs of a break-in. And there were lots of really nice expensive things still left in the home. Yeah, those are kind of like ultra-specific things yeah. that they took. Yeah. He also had two guns and one of them was missing. And it, the one that was missing matched up with the ca- bullet casing that they found. So they believed that whoever killed him, killed him with his own gun and then stole it. So now they know with the missing laptop, phone, and the gun that this was a personal murder. Investigators then, they're walking around his house and they see these pictures, like framed pictures of him with this hot young girlfriend. Yeah. And they're like, "Mm, something's not (laughs) right. Like if we were going to put a guess on it. (laughs) So now they're like, where's this girl? You know, like, because mm-hmm. is she, was she kidnapped or does she have anything to do with it? Yeah. And then they ask, they, so they ask around about this person and family and neighbors tell them all about Jennifer. So Jennifer had had a very difficult upbringing. Mm-hmm. Her mother was very abusive. And then they said that she suffered abuse by other men that her mother would bring around. Oh, it makes me so sad. I know. She dropped out of school because apparently she was always bullied in school and then she dropped out. Mm-hmm. Um, she ended up getting a job as a motorcycle mechanic, which okay. is pretty badass. Yeah, I was going to say, that's pretty badass, Jennifer. Yeah, and she was um, kind of a wild spirit. Lots of tattoos, like I said, uh-huh. and one of the tattoos was of a gun on her arm that when she pointed at you, it would look like she's 
pointing a gun at you or whatever. And then okay. the other one was a skeleton on her hand that when you she held it up to her face, it looked like made her face look like a skull. Uh-huh. It's art, I guess. Um, so then it. I t- mean, <laughs> hey, hey, I have um, I have a dragon tattooed on my back, and <laughs> I didn't know that. A, a tribal the girl with the dragon tattoo. <laughs> so I cannot ever judge anybody for any of their tattoos. Hey, I just remember that I have a dragon tattoo. What? Well, it, <laughs> I, don't know, like, so I just remember. It's on my ankle. Well. Long story, but I was at my friend. Her name's Emily Effler, and she's like an award-winning tattooer. She's stunning. Uh-huh. Like her work is amazing, and she is in LA. Yeah, and I was in LA, and I just wanted something yeah. by Emily. Well, I was out there, and then my brother was with me, and he called my kids, and then he said, "What should your mom get?" And then they were like, "A dragon, but with like a flower and a moon." And and so Emily's like, "Okay, got it." And then she sketches this thing, and yeah. I was like, "Perfect!" And so she, it's on my ankle. Your kids? No, yeah. See, no, it's like see. a dragon with the moon and some roses, and my kids. That's so. I keep forgetting. <laughs> <laughs> That's way better. I was 19 and went to Urban Outfitters <gasps> and in New York City, and I thought it was the only Urban <clears throat> Outfitters anywhere, and I got this tank top that had like this Chinese dragon on it, and I was like, I'm like a dragon. <laughs> oh I'm, I'm cool and fierce like a dragon. Oh my God. And then I went and got a dragon tattoo on my back. Nice. Hell yeah. yeah I want to see it. Mm-hmm. It's um, cool. Remind me to tell you the story about how Zach ended up with a Taco Bell tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> That's a story for another time. Yeah. Um, Sorry. We're getting off track. So at 22, she had ended up having a son, but she didn't stay in a relationship with her son's father. Uh-huh. So she was a single mother and she was apparently a really great single mother and she did whatever she needed to do to provide for her son. Yeah. And so she actually became an exotic dancer because she made a lot of money doing that mm-hmm. and it was just easier to support her son that way. Yeah. And that's where in 2012 she met Mike McNew. So I said that like Mike McNew. <laughs> I'm like, is that the same guy that died? Uh, Mike McNew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why did I say that? Okay. It's like, is this a new guy? <laughs> so, uh, it's all about tone. Um, so <laughs> that's where she met Mike McNew. And he was a regular one night he asked her out to dinner. And he would take her to fancy dinners and stuff because, you know, they had a lot of money. They say that, like, what she actually, what really drew her to him was mm-hmm. the fact that he was a stable person and had a good job. And jet and, skis. And jet skis. Uh-huh. And that he provided, like, a safe place for her and her son. I can see how that would be attractive to yeah. someone who had like, a crazy upbringing and who yeah. has kind of an erratic lifestyle to be like, I have a child and here is somebody who... They, he had children, right? And yeah. he's older, he's stable, he's wealthy. I mean, not whether he's wealthy to be or not, cared but just, for. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Nothing so, wrong with wanting stability. Yeah. So for the first few years, everything was great. Mm-hmm. And then, but after a few years, the relationship started to go south and they would fight a lot and argue. When police interviewed Mike's children about Jennifer, they did not care for her yeah, at all. I, I can imagine they that. They were, yeah, they were about the same age. Mm-hmm. They thought that she was trashy and they never accepted her. Um, and one thing that like would piss me off too is in when the daughter, his daughter got engaged, she told her father that she didn't want Jennifer to come to the wedding. Yeah. But he said that if Jennifer doesn't go, then I don't go. And he missed his 
daughter's wedding. He didn't go to his daughter's wedding. I mean, so, I kind of, I kind of feel like on both sides, that's a little petty, right? Yeah. I mean, it, I get it. I just also one of like, them you know, should have been like, if I were Jennifer, I would have been like, go, that's your daughter. Oh, one hundred percent. But also, I, I mean, I understand why he was like, I can't go without her. But also, the daughter, can you not just have your dad's girlfriend at your wedding? Yeah. I I, I get it. Oh, well. So. Families are complicated. They are. They really are. The relationship was strained with both of his kids because mm-hmm. of his relationship with Jennifer. Yeah. And then they became really strained when Jennifer started using drugs. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe she was already using drugs when the daughter got married. Right. And she was like, fuck that. Yeah, I shouldn't, that I I shouldn't judge the daughter. God, Sally. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So <laughs> she ended up becoming addicted to heroin. And she was even arrested several times for not only drugs, but a hit and run accident where she clipped a bicyclist. Ooh. I know. And so Mike was paying for all of her legal fees. Police were finding all this information out about Jennifer, but they couldn't find Jennifer. Yeah. So four days later... Jennifer calls the police and says that she needs to speak to a police officer, mm-hmm. which is a weird thing to do when your loved one has been murdered. Right. And so they set up a date to meet the following day, but Jennifer never showed up, which is also very strange. <laughs> right. So detectives then get a warrant for her and Mike's cell phone records. Mm-hmm. But then before you know they're able to get that, Mike's friends call the police with some information. He tells them that... Mike and Jennifer had actually already broken up and that Jennifer was already engaged to another man named Ruthless. What? His name is Ruthless. Was that his real name? No, (laughs) it wasn't. Uh, His real name was Charles Kulo. His friend showed the police a text message that he had gotten from Mike Mm -hmm. um, showing where Mike said that he was scared for his life because of this person. Yeah. Also known as Charles Charles Kulo. Not Ruthless. Not Ruthless. (laughs) That wasn't his God-given name. It's so crazy. Can you believe it? So Charles (laughs) Kulo, who was... And this person was a very dangerous drug dealer. Okay. Yeah. My brother, uh, my brother, Keith used to tease my mom, he would say, always be like, well, when I have a son, I'm going to name him Ferocious. And, <laughs> and he kept it going for years to the point where my mom was like, he really means it. He's going <laughs> to name his son. He said it was like Ferocious Seven Smith. <laughs> oh my God, that's such a great yeah. name. His name's Owen. Ferocious Seven, <laughs> So Jennifer had already moved in with Charles ruthless but all of her things were still at mike's house and she would go to mike's house all the time but on social media if the police would just look on fucking facebook right they would see that jennifer and charles were already boasting about being engaged okay yeah so now the police are looking at both jennifer and charles mm-hmm. so they go to her mo- motorcycle shop which i don't know why you couldn't find her <laughs> When she was at her job (laughs) where she worked every day. So they picked her up at the motorcycle shop and took her into custody. And then a jailhouse informant ends up telling police that while Jennifer was in jail, she admitted that her and Charles killed Mike. Okay. Which is a dumb thing to do. And so they finally get access to the, the phone records between Jennifer and Mike. And they saw that Jennifer's cell phone definitely pinged off of the towers near Mike's house at the 
time he was killed. Yeah. And then it shows her going from his house straight to Charles's trailer at 11 p.m. But then they... Why am I not surprised that it's Charles's trailer? I know. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so then they also see that Mike's phone stayed at his house because remember Mike's phone was missing right so Mike's phone stayed at his house until 1 a.m but then it was moved from his house into a nearby river on the way back so it was like someone came got the phone and then threw it into a river and kept driving they were like oh we need to make it look like a robbery real quick yeah or maybe like oh we don't want to why don't you just wait and listen to the whole story So Mike's son is so funny because like the police work on this entire case is just laughable because everybody solved it for them. Right. So Mike's son (laughs) tells the police, he's like, you know, every time I walk into my dad's house, my phone automatically connects to the router because I've connected to it before you know and i mean right. so he was like so why don't you look at the router and see if jennifer's phone connected at all yeah and wouldn't you know what her her cell phone connected to the router at the exact same time that he was killed and then uh, like again when they went back to get the yeah. cell phone so they were also able to get a hold of Jennifer, both of Jennifer's phones, because she had two. Mm-hmm. She had one that she used to talk to Mike, and then she had like a burner phone. But they couldn't get into the locks. This is like another funny, like poor police working. They couldn't get into the locks. So they found a list of codes that Mike kept in a book on his desk that had the codes <laughs> to everything. Like it said like passwords. Right. And then they were able to do that. They were to break the codes. Thing, they found the code to the phone in Mike's office and the code to the phone was her birthday. <laughs> <laughs> So when they finally got the the phone open, they were able to see that there was a ton of text messages from Mike and Jennifer. Yeah. And that Mike had threatened Jennifer saying that he was going to go to the FBI with information on Charles. And there were tons of text messages of Jennifer threatening to kill Mike. Like, if you do that, I'm going to fucking kill you. Yeah. And then at the end, there were messages of Mike actually begging her to come back to him. And then the last text message that he sent to Jennifer Mm -hmm. said, Jennifer, I love you to death. Oh. Yeah. So they were able to get into Jennifer's Facebook account because of all the passwords that right. were on his notebook. <laughs> and they saw that Jennifer, the night... That's why you don't have an affair with an old man. I know. There's like... They, it's like, yeah, they can't... They don't understand technology. So they're just like writing down passwords willy-nilly and putting them in their office. There's like a typed out instruction manual on how to unlock my cell phone. Right. <laughs> So they were able to get into Jennifer's Facebook account and then they saw that on the night of the murder that Jennifer was messaging different people, like random friends or whatever, telling them that Mike had been killed by a robber. (gasps) Yeah. Before Before anybody knew? Yeah, before anybody ever knew. They interviewed Charles Kulo Mm -hmm. and... Ruthless. Ruthless. And he tells them that the day of the murder, Jennifer was really upset and texting someone, but he didn't know who, and that she left. And then he tells them that when she came back a while later, she said that she had killed Mike. Um, she said that he, that Mike had pointed a gun at her, and when she went to grab it, it accidentally went off and killed him. Mm-hmm. And he said that he called, because he was on like 
probation and stuff. And he's yeah. like, I'm not touching this. So he called his friend Jerry Watson, who was in the other room of the trailer, and was like, <laughs> get in here. And then he told them, like, Jennifer, tell him what you just told me. And so he sent his friend Jerry to take Jennifer back to Mike's to make sure that he definitely was dead. And that, oh, okay, it and that's when she got the cell yeah. phone, et cetera. Yeah, and so then they interview Jerry. Jerry tells him that when that's the story, and he corroborates and says this is the story Jennifer gave us, yeah. that you know it was self-defense. But then he said that when he got there, that he was shocked because it, the scene didn't look like self-defense at all. He said that the story Jennifer told him was that like he had gotten up from his chair and pointed a gun, and Jennifer grabbed it and then it accidentally went off and right. he's like but he was sitting in a chair yeah and um his hands were in his lap right you know it just didn't look at all like that and then he said that he saw jennifer kneel down and took off his watch <gasps> and then he clean she cleaned everything out of his pockets and then when the police checked the dna inside of mike's pockets they saw that it matched jennifer's dna Oh. Uh-huh. So again, like even this guy, Jerry Watson's. Like, yeah. <laughs> Did you check the DNA on his pants? They <laughs> were like, oh. And so um, on September 29th, 2017, Jennifer was charged with murder, burglary, and tampering with evidence. And then the trial began on January 24th, 2019. But between the cell phone records, the jailhouse informant, the DNA evidence, and the testimony of Jerry Watson, it was obvious that she did it. Yeah. You know? Like, she still claims that it was an accident, but it just, obviously, it just doesn't look like that. And so then after only 10 hours of deliberation, um, she was found guilty of first-degree murder, and she'll spend the rest of her life in prison. Neither Jerry Watson or Ruthless were charged in connection with the murder, but Ruthless was later convicted for third-degree murder in an unrelated case and is currently serving a 17-year sentence. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you kind of expect that from a guy named Ruthless. Yeah, like if you're gonna, if that's gonna be your nickname, then I mean, put up a shut up. (laughs) (laughs) His name's Ruthless. He's a music teacher for preschoolers. (laughs) He does the photo lab. (laughs) He's an IT. (laughs) Well, that's my story. That's a crazy one. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Are you ready for a love story? Yes. Oh, good. Well, mm-hmm. I have one. Great. <laughs> so I'm glad. This is a love story of Laura and Brayden Faganello. So I got my information from a Bored Panda article from nice. the Times Colonist. And a lot of this actually comes from a post from Laura about the relationship on lovewhatmatters.com. So, okay, so although theirs is a modern romance, Laura Hart and Brayden Faganello's relationship started in an old-fashioned way, with letters. They were both from Victoria, British Columbia, but neither was living there at the time. So Brayden was actually serving on a church mission in South Africa, and Laura was on her way to Brussels for the summer. Her dad was stationed there because he was in the Canadian military. Okay. So... She was going there for the summer, and then she was going to Spain for a study abroad program in the fall. And Laura knew Brayden's cousins, and so they were telling Laura about him, and they were like, you should write him a letter. We think you'd be really cute together. And Laura was like, look, I'm leaving. He's in South Africa. Like, 
I'm not really interested. But she ended up, she kind of was like, okay, why not? She ended up writing him one letter. And she actually gave her return address in Victoria, where her brother lived, and then she immediately moved to Brussels. But then on June 3rd of 2015, she got a message from her brother who had picked up her mail, and she had actually gotten a letter from Brayden, and it was her birthday. And she said that it was the funniest thing she'd ever read. So... She wrote a new letter to him, this time gave her accurate return address, and then they ended up writing letters to each other over the next eight months. And so there was no like no FaceTime, no phone calls. They only wrote letters and then one email a week. So they both moved back to Victoria in January of 2016, and they were instantly inseparable. Uh, Braden proposed at the end of April, and then on July 15th of 2016, the two were married. And they're both, I should also say they're both very young. They're, I think she is... 21 and he is also young okay and then that first year they were busy being newlyweds laura was finishing her last semester at university and Braden was beginning his career um you know they were kind of like living in a basement apartment but just like happy and together they were building a fledgling wedding photography business and then in april of 2017 a family friend asked laura if she would help set up for an event and when she got there, she said the scene was full of chaos. They were setting up this huge event tent. It was very windy, and so they hadn't put the walls that would prevent the wind, so like things were getting knocked over. Oh, and um, It was just a mess. All these balloons were popping. She said the coordinators were just... Heads were falling yeah. off. <laughs> she said that it was... Yeah, she's like, it was just crazy, crazy scene. Okay. So she said she remembers watching three women struggling to put the huge support pole in place like for the for the big event tent and she said she hadn't they she noticed that they hadn't set it on flat ground but because the coordinator was helping them she just was like I guess they know what they're doing her job was to decorate the tables and so she was focused on decorating a table when she heard somebody gasp (gasps) and then she heard and she felt a loud thump (gasps) And the next thing she knew, she was holding her head in her hand and she saw that that huge support pole had been oh, pushed no. by the wind and had come down on her head. Oh, God. Yeah. So she everything went fuzzy and then it went black. And her next clear memory was waking up thinking she was 17 years old. <gasps> she noticed that she was in a strange bed and she looked over and saw a man that she didn't know sitting next to her and it was Brayden. And she says that a rush of panic took over her body. She couldn't say a single word, but all she wanted to do was scream at him, who are you? She had no idea who he was. Her memory of meeting and falling in love and marrying Brayden was completely gone. And Brayden looks over and calmly says, good morning, Laura. And Laura was so confused that she got up, her head was all crazy, and she went into the bathroom and she threw up because she was so like, I don't know what's happening. But Brayden was so calm because it turns out this was not the first morning that she had woken up and been confused after the accident. This was just the first time that she remembers doing it. Every morning, she would wake up in gasping in fear and wonder who the stranger was next to her in the bed. Oh and every God. morning, he would be like, it's okay, here's what happened. And her brain would reset to thinking that she was 17, still living in her parents' home in Brussels. And so this continued for the next two years. 
She spent every waking moment, she says, in tear-jerking, white-knuckled pain. So in addition to this brain injury that caused her to lose her memory, she had damage to her spine, which caused back spasm, and she had tension headaches, like, constantly. And then doctors just didn't know what to do for her. They were kind of like, you'll get better, or you won't. Oh, my God. She had lost her ability to read, write, and speak coherently. The company who was responsible didn't step up, and so she was... And she was too sick to push for compensation. They they were very young. They didn't have a lot of money. And so she actually went without a lot of treatment that she needed. And at one point, Brayden was like trying to get something out of the company. And they just were like, oh, I hope she feels better. That's it. They didn't pay for anything. And she started feeling really hopeless. And as the initial pain subsided, Laura's memories of Brayden started slowly coming back. But she even though she had the memories the emotional connection to the memories was gone so she felt like she had just woken up in a marriage and had no attachment to this person or to like she was like it's like she woke up in somebody else's life and so she said she started feeling resentful she felt trapped and she said she knew that the right thing to do was to stay with him but the thought of it made her panic so most times she cringed if he tried to even hug her and oh, then, yeah, I bet. I mean, right? She's like, stranger. you're a stranger. Yeah. And then, and on the outside, Brayden was trying to be strong for Laura. He said he always reassured her, you may not remember me, but I remember you. I love, I love you no matter what. Nothing could make me give up on you. And Brayden tried to carry on with a normal life, but he said that each day was like the moment that somebody breaks up with you. Oh, he said God. it was absolutely heartbreaking. Here I was, newly wed, and my wife doesn't remember me. He said, any feelings weren't being reciprocated. She was cold and distant, but I had this feeling that things would be okay as long as I kept trying to understand her and if I could just keep working at it and loving her. Oh my God. So Laura wasn't happy. Brayden was trying, but he wasn't happy. But living separately just wasn't financially possible because she couldn't work. He just had a, you know, an entry level job. So they basically became roommates with like this invisible imaginary line in their bed. They had this new wedding photography business together and so Laura couldn't work otherwise so she just kind of threw herself into the in the business and so she would go out she's like I could go out and the only time I needed to leave my bed was to go do the photography and then I would come home and like be in bed the rest of the day Mm. but then something kind of happened so around the two-year mark after the accident Laura says that she woke up one morning and the fog had slowly started to lift. She said she realized that she had to make a choice. She couldn't stay in a marriage that she didn't remember choosing, but she said she saw how kind and patient Brayden was with her, that he was sweet and silly and quirky, and she decided that she was going to try to make it work. She was like, I have to make a choice here. Yeah. So she took off her wedding rings and she went to Brayden and she said, I want to date you. And he was just like, uh, okay, we're married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she was like, no, I'm serious. I want us to fall in love again. You know me, but I don't know you, and I want to know you. So they started going on dates, and they went mini-golfing for their first date, and Laura says that by the third hole, she was out of breath from laughing. They went to dinner, they binge-watched shows like Parks and Rec, and they went on long walks, and they got to know each other again. Because Laura couldn't concentrate on reading, Brayden would read her her favorite books before Aww. bed, and then he left, started leaving her sweet notes every morning before he left for work. So Laura says that Brayden knew that she really 
mourned the fact that she had such a fuzzy memory of their engagement and their wedding and that he said he wanted to give her something that she could remember, something that they could both look back on together because she was like, you have all these memories of us falling in love, but I don't, I don't even know. I don't have anything, you know? Yeah. So after a summer of dating on August 19th of 2019, Brayden proposed again and he, this time he did it with letters. So he took her to a beautiful overlook of the city and he gave her a letter labeled number one and it was his perspective on falling in love with her. And then he took her to the spot where he had originally proposed the first time and he gave her another letter that talked about all of the challenges they had faced and how he was so happy that they had fought through them together. And then he took her to the place where they'd had their first date and he gave her a third letter about what the future had in store for them. And then he got down on his knee and proposed. Aww. And she said yes. And they plan on getting married this July 15th, which is four years after a wedding day that she can't remember. And Laura says, I've learned that love is a choice and I am choosing to love Brayden. Oh my God, that's incredible. And that's the story of Laura and Brayden wow. Fanganello. And you can actually follow them and see their gorgeous work on at Faganello Productions on Instagram. I will. And yeah, they're really, they're this, they're a gorgeous couple and they take beautiful pictures. Um, they do beautiful work. So we will, of course, link to all of that. That's amazing. Yeah. Hey, you ready to do our something dumb, something we love? I am ready. Are you ready? I am ready this time. Okay. <laughs> um... <laughs> Okay, You're flying by the seat of your pants over there. So okay, so for something dumb, uh, so I've been watching. Have you seen the um, on Netflix? It's the Goop Lab. I mean, I've seen that it is a thing. I haven't watched it though. It's pretty fascinating, actually. Yeah. In what way? Well, just like I like to, for instance, okay, okay. the one that I I watched all of them, but the one that struck with me was um, struck with me, struck uh-huh. with me. <laughs> Uh, was the one that's about Reiki. Reiki? Reiki? Oh, yeah. We were talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I've always been really... Okay. My sister does it and loves it. I have friends that do it and love it. They swear by it. It's funny because I'll do stupid shit like I, you know, I ask my dead grandmother where things are when I can't find stuff. And <laughs> but it you're works. Like, but Reiki is just but too I'm like, far. Yeah, but I'm like, but I don't understand Reiki. That doesn't make any sense. And so, but I was like, that's hypocritical of me to think this. I don't understand. But I watched that episode and it looked compelling. And I was like, I want to see for myself. Right. I want to try this. So I did get have an appointment. I oh, went right. to, I went and had a Reiki session. And? And I felt nothing. (laughs) Not a thing. I just took a nap, I guess. Yeah. But um, but what's funny is, so I was like a little, I was expecting more of the like, when you see these people, they're like on the show, they're contorting on a table. Yeah. And like they, their bodies being like tossed about through this like energy. And that just didn't happen for me. Maybe, maybe uh, your person, maybe you guys just didn't flow. Maybe not. Yeah. I mean, the person that did it was super nice and lovely. But what's, what's funny is that like it didn't, work I guess per se but afterwards she'll tell you like things that she noticed or whatever Uh and then she just goes um your brain it just like it doesn't stop going she said can I ask you do you keep yourself very very busy all the time because you're um running away from emotions and feelings (laughs) and as soon as she said that I was like (laughs) 
like fine. I was like, I don't know why I'm crying. Uh, it was I like, I, I, it, it was like, yeah. And then so it was just so funny how it would be like, this is nothing. And then she asked me one question and I start bawling, crying. Just, you know, it's like when one person asks you like, are you okay? And you're like, and then that's when you're like, yeah. no. <laughs> like I was until you asked me yeah so the session like I don't know the didn't the Reiki part didn't work for me but it was like I guess I left feeling um some sort of something because (laughs) I was like crying to a stranger in a room you're like so now I have a new therapist yeah (laughs) (laughs) so it was interesting but I would like I've and I've talked to people since about it and they're like no i definitely feel stuff when i go like you should try it again or okay. try a different person or to and i'm like really yeah i don't want to spend another 90 dollars to find out if it yeah. works or not i told you that one time my mom was like i got us massages and then we went in and they were like it's a um, energy massage. An energy massage yeah. and i was like that's not a massage <laughs> <laughs> it was not a massage <laughs> But, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> um, that's my something dumb and something I love, I guess. Well, yeah, I'm gonna, yeah. The, like something <laughs> dumb and something I like. Something, something that happened. Something, something dumb. dumb and something that happened. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Well, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. So I think my something dumb is we're we're stand up comedians, as we've mentioned it's before. So dumb. So dumb. But as stand-ups, it's hard to enjoy stand-up. Like, I have a hard time watching other stand-up. Yeah. It's it's hard to find things funny, and it sucks because I love stand-up so much. You were talking about this a little bit a couple weeks about ago when you said about Fortune Feimster, Feimster where yeah. you're like, oh, I just, it struck me, and I, like, really enjoyed stand-up again. And I went last night to see Bobcat Goldthwait and Dana Gould yeah. were in town, and they are doing this show that they're actually filming for something. So someday you guys will probably all be able to see it. I'm sure it'll be on Netflix or something. I'm not sure who they're filming it for, but it was just so great. I laughed so hard. It was so great to like, I love both of them as comedians and Bobcat and I have been friends for a long time, but it was just, it was so good. It was so funny and it was like a really unique setup. They were doing stand up at the same time. And I just was like, I love stand up so much. I love that this whole room of people is having this, amazing reaction to just two guys on stage talking and he, they're making this whole room of people just like convulse in laughter and oh, it was I'm really I missed it. yeah it was really great and it made me you know like you said it just made me like be like yes I love this thing yeah so, yeah I want to try to find more joy in stand-up yeah yeah and I think like it's good to take a, a few days off and mm-hmm. reset and then watch it for you Yes. Not for, not, and don't watch stand up. I need to, like, I'm doing research or yes. I need to, whatever, and, and relate it to your own stand up and fo- like, just enjoy it for what it is yeah. and receive that joy. I mean, I used to go see shows all the time, but then when it became a career and I'm like, the only stand up I see now are shows that I'm on. So, like, you know, my brain's like half in there because I'm waiting for my set or I'm done with my set or whatever, you yeah. know? Yeah. Or you've worked, you're on your seventh show of the weekend yeah. and you just watch for the 10th time. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah. For the 7th time. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the 10th time. That's for math. the 7th show. I get it. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, but it was, yeah, it was fun to just like go and be an audience member and just really 
it was just so fun to see. So that's awesome. Hell so, yeah, yeah. Dude. So you guys, I hope you guys had a good week. I hope uh, you guys something fun happened to you. Maybe you got some good energy from somebody yeah, not touching can you. you. Send it to us. I saw that you can send it over your phone. Okay, send us some you, some. Uh, why don't you call us? Can you do it over email? <laughs> yeah. Email us stories if you see some stories that you think we like to do, or email us your own stories at dumblovepod at gmail.com. Um, you can find, you can buy some of our Dumb Love merch. We'd love if you did that. That is at our website, which is dumblovepodcast.com. Mm-hmm. All of our social media is at dumblovepodcast.com. You can rate and review us. You guys know all the drill. I don't know why I'm saying this. We love you. We love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for everything. You're yeah. amazing. And get out there and do something dumb for love. Dum-da-dum,